Hi, this is Pastor Joel with Right Response Ministries, and you're listening to another episode of Theology Applied. In this episode, I was privileged to be joined by Toby Sumter, Chalk Knox, also known as David Shannon, his real name, and Gabriel Wrench. They're the three hosts of Cross Politic, a podcast that I highly recommend. And so they come on the show. Our topic is theonomy, God's law, legislating God's law in the civil realm, all of Christ for all of life, and um, we apply a lot of this conversation, the theological framework, to the, the subject of America, uh, how America has done this successfully, how America has failed, and our predictions for whether or not the nation of the United States of America will continue, or whether or not, perhaps because of our rebellion, our time as a nation is up. So, I think you'll enjoy. Also, if you're willing to support Right Response Ministries, you can do so by making a donation of any amount on our website, rightresponseministries.com. Again, that's rightresponseministries.com. If you're not able to support the ministry financially, you can still support us through prayer, as well as subscribing to our YouTube channel, clicking the bell so that you'll be notified with uh, new content as it arrives. And a big one is simply sharing our content with your friends and family members and encouraging them to subscribe as well. Finally, before we get started, um, if you are a Christian and or conservative company or ministry or organization that wants to partner with Right Response Ministries and sponsor some of our shows through advertisements, we would love to partner with you. So please reach out to us at advertise at rightresponseministries.com. Again, that's advertise at rightresponseministries.com. We'll be able to send you our media kit, our pricing, and our strategy to help your business succeed. And now, enjoy this episode of Theology Applied. Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. All right, welcome to another episode of Theology Applied with Right Response Ministries. As I've already mentioned, we're privileged to be joined with special guests from Cross Politics. We've got Toby, we've got Chalk Knox, and we've got the water boy, Gabriel Wrench. So without further ado, uh, guys, go ahead and just introduce yourselves to our listeners. I'm Pastor Toby Sumter, uh, Associate Pastor at Christ Church, and married to Jenny, father of four. Yep. And um, yeah. It's funny. You just introduced us and I don't know what to say, except I guess if you can't tell that I'm the chocolate Knox, I don't know what's wrong with you, but okay. <laughs> especially, I, I I'll, I'll, especially between the three of us, between the three of us, between the three of us. But I guess, <laughs> so I'm married to Sharon. She has given me seven beautiful children and um, a filmmaker and yep. dripology. There we go. Hey, and um, Gabriel Wrench, water boy. Uh, I serve as a deacon at Christ church here in Moscow, Idaho, which is partially why we call him the water boy. Yes. And it's it's all connected. Am I advertising um, Starbucks? To, better not be. I'm married to Annie, and I got uh, three just wonderful, happy, joyful kids that keep me on my toes. Mm. <laughs> Go baptize your kids if you have children. I, I don't know what you, you asked for it, Joel. <laughs> yeah. So by having them on the show, then I, I just gotta take take the punches with the baptism <laughs> baby. <son. laughs> yeah. All right. So this is what we want to do with with this episode. I I, I want to discuss theonomy, uh, God's law. Um, applying it in the civil realm, uh, executing justice, all those kinds of things. And you guys, I've learned a lot from you um, on this topic and been a longtime listener. So I just wanted to, basically, I, I'll start with this. 
Um, there's a lot of guys who prescribe to the Westminster Confession or they prescribe to the 1689, and yet they have an incredible aversion to the word theonomy. Whoa. Uh, what is theonomy? Whoa. And Whoa. Why, why, why are people so bothered by it? Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. You know, there's a lot of people that are, I've, I've seen articles written against theonomy, and I always get concerned when they start writing articles against it. I don't want to talk about that really. I really want to ask you, how do you start exercising what the civil magistrate is supposed to do as it relates to justice? And how do you get there from a Christian perspective and position? And as soon as somebody starts exercising um, some form of justice from a biblical position, I'm just like, well, that's the enemy. And so I don't, and I don't know what the fight really is all about. I want to take away kind of some of the stereotypes that people feel about the enemy. Forget all that. What does it come down to? If somebody steals, what should be the thing? What that, is justice? What is justice in the case of stealing? What is justice in the case of murder? And where'd you get it? And where'd you get it? And 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 when it's time for it to apply, whose fear is supposed to apply the judgment for those things? And so when it comes down to it, every Christian, regardless whether they like the term or not, better be a theonomist. Because if they're not a theonomist, they are then saying that we don't need God's word as it relates to justice and we can make it up as we go. <laughs> so well, and the other presuppositional question to ask is if you're criticizing theonomy. What standard are you using to criticize theonomy? Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly right. You, you, that's what just what a theonomist would say. <laughs> so, so I so think... What, go ahead, John. Well, I was going to say real quick, what, what do you think... You know, I remember when you guys had Jonathan Lehman on the show, and, and I thought that was one of my favorite episodes, and it revealed a lot... And it seems like what Lehman was advocating for is like, well, of course, we need God's justice. And of course, you know, there is a right and a wrong and it's not relative. And it's not subjective. But then what he did, this is my takeaway, and I want to see if you guys agree. What he did was he made it mystic. Uh, that it, he kept using the word wisdom. Well, it's just wisdom. Christians just right. need to have wisdom. Um, but, but it seemed like what he was communicating in that is not a wisdom that is inherent, inherently found in the word of God, um, but a wisdom that comes, I don't know, like, like that, that, that's more, more mystical. What, what, do, what do you feel like from he above. was doing there? <laughs> right, yeah, from, a, from above, but not from a book, from above. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, right. It's, that's right. Now, I agree with you, Joel. I think that that's exactly what I took away as well. And I think that's a misunderstanding of what wisdom is. Biblical wisdom is an application of God's word. So, so and this it goes back to actually the building of the tabernacle in Exodus, um, God gives wisdom uh, to the artisans to construct the tabernacle. And it says, so that they can uh, follow the instructions that God gave to Moses on the mountain. <laughs> mm. it, Bars. It, I mean, it's so the, you know, you think even the modern concept of, um, you know, creativity and being an artist, we have this, we, many Christians have even imbibed this sort of postmodern um, notion that creativity and artistry and beauty is sort of winging it. Subjective. It's completely subjective. Right, yeah. You're making it up as you go along. The the you know it, it to be for it to be really beautiful it has to be really authentic, which means you had you you didn't you just made it up on the spot. You just splattered the paint. You yeah. just you know yeah. you you know it's emotional. It's emotive, and I would say mystical. And so I think right. to the extent that we think wisdom is that kind of artistry, it's subjective and it's winging it. Then it's absolutely it's, it's you're absolutely right. It's mystical. But biblical wisdom is the skill and the art. I would say of yeah. applying God's word on the ground to particulars. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, I like that's that right. definition. And, and so that, and that goes all the way back to Exodus. Um, they, the artisans of the tabernacle did not have the freedom to make it up as they went along. I mean, people who made right. it up 
uh, having to do with anything with the tabernacle got burnt. Yeah. Or stoned if they're a prophet. It's yeah. right. <laughs> um, but that's, I think you're absolutely right. Biblical wisdom is applying God's word. And and so, and I'll, if, I'd love to have that follow-up conversation with Lehman and say, that's my understanding of wisdom. Of course, the biblical law has to be applied with wisdom. Of course, it's case law. It doesn't, yeah. it's, it doesn't apply to every single situation. You take biblical principles and then you apply them to the particulars on the ground. Um, of right. course. But the question that I think you're pressing rightly is, but where do we start? And we have to start with biblical principles. The word of God is our light. It's our truth. Um, and if we don't start there, then yeah, we've got big problems. Mm, that's good. Would you guys agree with this statement? I'll, I'll make a statement and see what you guys take is. So the civil law, right? We could divide the law into three basic groups, ceremonial, civil, and moral law, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. But, mm. but we would say that the ceremonial law is moral for Israel. They either obey or they don't. There's morality that's intrinsically involved in that. Uh, but we would say ultimately the ceremonial law has been fulfilled in Christ. Um, but when it comes to the civil law, even though that was unique to Israel, um, would you guys agree that we would say that, that it's not civil law and moral law? Are, we, we, we divorce them and make them so separate, but really we could look at the moral law, the Decalogue, as the bedrock or the blueprints, and, and out of it, out of its... Out of these laws, like thou shalt not murder, which we would dig even deeper and say that, that it's to esteem human life made in the image of God, to protect it, not to do harm to our neighbor, all those kinds of things. And from that, you you get, you know, a, a you know, a border on the roof of houses so that people don't fall off. You know, you get, you know, you get all these different civil laws stemming from the the moral law of God, the Decalogue. And so with with Israel, we, we would look at all these civil laws. And we're not saying that, you know, for America or Brazil or China, that it's a one-to-one -one ratio. I think what we're saying is that with the civil law, we, we do instead of one step, we do two. We go from the civil law back to the moral law, and then the moral law applied with wisdom to our time and place. Is is that a yeah. good way to express the, it? Or? Well, well, the I mean, the Westminster Confession um, is um, says that um, the, the, the particular civil laws um, have expired with the nation of Israel, except for the general equity thereof. And the 1689 says that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 1689 says that, yeah. Okay. Um, so, the, um, so basically, I would say, um, I, I, I think that's exactly, I think what you said, I think I agree with. Um, frequently, people take general equity, and then they mean something kind of mystical by it. Right. They say, oh, yeah, general equity, and then just sort of like something up. They wave their hands. Wave their hands yeah. and be like, yeah, and then just, you know, I don't know what, I don't know where they're going to get it from, but General equity, best I can tell, is actually a, a, was a, something like a, a technical term that, that was coming out of the Western law tradition, which meant the moral principles behind the civil law. So I don't, right. uh, and, and again, you look at the, the men who wrote the Westminster Confession or the London Baptist Confession or the, the men who established our country. I mean, they, they were the ones that wrote the words you know, expired except for yeah. the general equity of thereof. And then what laws did they put on the books? Well, they had like right. Sabbath breaking laws. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they took the old Testament law and they sought to apply it with wisdom uh, to their situation. And it doesn't mean they always got it right. But, um, but yeah, I think something like what you're talking about is what is meant by general equity. The moral principles embedded in the civil law um, are still binding on the nations of the earth. Um, Paul quotes um, the Old Testament law when he talks about paying pastors, do not muzzle an ox. Right. Um, so uh, that goes to kind of Toby's general equity comments here that the, the authors of the New Testament had no problem anchoring their principles and their um, uh, in book of church order in, in Old Testament principles and Old Testament law.
Right. And that's what Paul was, Paul was doing there. So I, you know, I think those categories are helpful. Um, but when you read through the old Testament, oftentimes, you know, they'll, they'll kind of go from a, a, a ceremonial text to a civil text to a moral text, you know? Right. So you know, it really does require knowing your Bible uh, to be able to sort through this. I would also uh, just add, I mean, I think, for example, uh, to add to Gabe's point is I think the Sabbath law, for example, the fourth commandment actually has all three um, categories at work. Yeah. So I I think there is a, there is a moral component because it goes all the way back to the foundation of the world, the way God made the world. Um, There was particular civil penalties Mm -hmm. that were put in place for the nation of Israel. Um, and there were ceremonial elements to it as well. And so when you get to the New Testament, for example, why is why does Paul feel free in Galatians and other places, for example, to say, you know, why are you going back to the Sabbaths? Why are you going back to the, the, to the holy days and so on? Well, that's the ceremonial law that's fulfilled in Jesus. And the Judaizers were saying, if you don't fulfill the ceremonial law, you're not fully justified in Jesus. So I think we stand with Paul dead on and say, yeah, don't go back to a ceremonial Sabbath. The ceremonial Sabbath right. died in Jesus. Right. Partially, that's why we celebrate the New Testament Sabbath on Sunday, right. on the first day of the week. It died and it rose again. Um, but there is still a moral Sabbath. Yeah. Um, Hebrews 4 says right. that a Sabbath remains for the people of God. Um, it's part of the Ten Commandments. It goes back to the creation of the world. That's right. And because of that, I think that nations are free to apply that moral load, uh, law, moral law, um, judiciously in civil law to this day. Um, I, I disagree with the blue laws that, um, that the, um, our ancestors tried to, you know, say you couldn't buy wine and beer on Sunday. Um, but uh, there, was, there was one thing that right. you should be able to buy on Sunday. I, I, just, I just don't understand that <laughs> brothers and sisters, but, but nevertheless, I would say, um, you know, it's in, actually written into our constitution that the president has Sundays off from um, considering um, legislation that's brought to him. Um, and so I think um, wise civil magistrates ought to have ways in which they honor the Lord's day. I, yeah, I agree. With, with that, though, it's I know you were saying it in jest, you know, just quickly in passing in terms of buying wine and beer and stuff like that. But just to quickly put you guys on the spot, because I really am curious your answer. So it's not a loaded question. It's a genuine question. Sure. But this, is, sure. this is Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13. I, I really want to hear you guys' response, especially you, Toby, on this one. So Nehemiah chapter 13, starting at verse 15. Uh, this is one of the texts that both the Westminster authors and the 1689 authors cite uh, in terms of uh, the Sabbath day. Uh, verse 15, in those days I saw Judah, um, I saw in Judah people treading winepress on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. 
From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. So in my assessment, that, that's one of the texts that's cited by the 1689 and the Westminster. And, you know, you've got, but at the same time, I've been Sabbatarian for what, like 15 minutes, you know, so I, I want to be humble and admit that, you know, I've, I, my, my family and I have adopted Sabbatarian convictions for about two years now. And so a little longer than 15 minutes, but not much. And I look at guys right. who've been Sabbatarian for 30 years and they go out to eat after church on Sunday. And I don't want to be so arrogant as to presume that I understand something that these faithful individuals do not. And yet I've also heard arguments on, on the other side saying that, you know, we want to release our servants on, you know, you or your servant, your male servant, your female servant. Yep. Um, and, and that by patroning certain places, the marketplace where we're forcing people to work. And I know the pure, like Thomas Watson, I just finished his book on the 10 commandments and Thomas mm-hmm. Watson would, would have had a fit, you know, if, if we were going to the marketplace on Sunday. So right. how, what, what is, Help me go out to eat on Sunday with a clear conscience. <laughs> <laughs> well, I well who's serving you, pagans? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, my but those were pagans this- outside the wall of Jerusalem. That that's yeah. that's gotta, the difficulty. That. No, ahead, so so my take is you actually have again. I would go back to I think I believe the Sabbath command has all three elements going on all through the law, and, so, and there's different elements of it. You've got moral, um, civil and ceremonial going Liturgical. on and and that <laughs> fine <laughs> and the uh and 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 so and that um ceremonial um you know and it's all bound up again with them being able to be in the land um and if they're if they're not keeping the law um um completely if they're not being faithful to the covenant um that they that they kept that they made with god um they're going to be kicked out of the land you've got them coming back into the land now under nehemiah um so there's there's multiple elements here, but let me just try to parse it really quickly. Number one is I believe that the moral principle of not doing your normal uh, daily labors. So they're trying to bring a normal marketplace yeah. in on the Sabbath. And I believe that Christian Sabbatarians should be against that. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we should not have our normal marketplace going on our normal daily um, business going on. Um, at the same time, I don't believe that we are under the same ceremonial law um, such that I, as um uh, Paul says in, in Romans 14, um, people um, can esteem every day alike or one day differently, and that's not a divisive matter. So, so I take that to mean that Sunday is not ceremonially different than any other day of the week. I believe it is the Lord's Day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and it is our Christian Sabbath. Um, but what we find in the Old Covenant is that Sabbath was one of the feast days, but then um, any number of feast days, if you had a feast day, it created a Sabbath day. It wasn't ceremonially different, but nevertheless, it became a Sabbath day or it became a feast day. I believe that the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day, Sunday, is the Christian Sabbath, but it's not a ceremonial Sabbath. It's it's sanctified by our worship, and it's not the other way around like it was in the Old Covenant. Um, but that means that I don't think we're under the exact same ceremonial regulations as the Old Covenant people. Now, the principle stands, the moral principle is take a day off and give everybody a day off. So I think of this like, um, I think one of the best ways to think about it is like Christmas or Thanksgiving. Nobody wants to go to work on Christmas or Thanksgiving. Yeah. Everybody wants to shut down. Everyone's have a few hours as possible. At the same time, we also know that the Sabbath principle is not meant to crush the poor. It's yep. not meant to crush the needy. It's not meant to crush um, it's it's the travelers the, tra- and the, the travelers yep. and it's meant to provide rest 
uh, maybe for someone who has to travel, maybe for emergencies. So we already make example um, exceptions in the in the confessions for works of necessity, for example. So sure, I want right. you know the cops and the firemen and the and the hospitals and open. mom who's cooking the meal. And I want to add to that. I think yeah. sometimes we can be a little bit um, cranky about it, but I want to say if somebody's traveling or their car broke down. And they need a place to stay, or they need to buy some lunch. Napa Auto Parts need to open, or or, or if if somebody came through town and whatever the the plans fell through, and 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 you suddenly need to provide for them, um, I what in my ideal Sabbatarian society, again, I would think of it kind of like Christmas or Thanksgiving, where usually you have very limited hours. Everybody's trying to go home. Everybody's trying to give as much time off as possible. But maybe in my ideal Sabbatarian community, you'd have a rotation of grocery stores that would have limited hours once a month or yeah. once every six weeks. So most of the time, most of them are off. But one of them's open in town because of emergencies. And yeah. mom forgets something and you got to run to the store because you have extra guests that land in town. I think that's fully in keeping with keeping Sabbath. Right. Um, and so I would, I would want to say, Amen to what Nehemiah did. I think civil magistrates ought to have laws in place that would um, uh, encourage Sabbath keeping. But I also think that sometimes um, our Puritan forefathers, who are better than men than me, uh, nevertheless had a few extra eggs in the omelet. And and I would I would want them to um, ease up a bit because I think that actually to give rest we need to have a little bit of room to maneuver. So what I would say in terms of your binding your conscience about going to lunch on on Sundays, I would say for myself. Um, I, I ordinarily don't go out to lunch on Sunday. However, I don't think it's a sin if on occasion you decide to give your family rest by taking them out um, to yeah. a meal. I would want, uh, again, a sort of similar kind of rotation for restaurants on right. Sunday or where, hotels, right. or hotels yeah. and that kind yeah. of thing where occasionally um, as need, you know, maybe you just had a baby last night and it's like, who's going to cook dinner and whatever, or you have guests in, mm-hmm. I want the opportunity to take them out to a restaurant to give rest but I would, in my ideal world, that restaurant would only be open, you know, once every eight eight weeks or something, and there'd be a rotation of them, right. so we could help so serve one another. There's a Sabbath rest still taking right. place amongst the restaurants. Exactly. So it's culturally we're all resting, and and again, like Christmas or Thanksgiving, everything's pretty much shut down. But if you need something, you could still go find it. So Joel, you, we won't stone you if you happen to, you know, go to Salt Lake Barbecue uh, on Sunday. I say maybe normal, <laughs> but we get it. Texas. I also, you know, are the Egyptians serving? Because I don't mind plundering the Egyptians on Sunday a little bit. <laughs> you know? Gabe. <laughs> Gabe. Gabe, Did you we were going to say something? I just said Did it. You... <laughs> oh, that's that, it. Was, that was my joke. That, that was, was my joke. Yeah. Uh, I, I get it. Well, the, the beauty for, in my case, is that we, we do a Sabbath dinner every Saturday evening for all the members in our church, and they come over because, you know, we're church planning. We're small at this point. So people come over, and I'm, you know, I'm smoking meat, you know, all day long. Sometimes start Friday night if I've got a brisket or something like that, and they're, you, um, you know, our yes. our... Our doctrine enforces us um, to to feast, and so we always make uh, more than enough food, and uh, we don't ration it out. And so uh, there's always uh, baskets left over, if you will, which means Sunday afternoon after church, yep. I uh, because it's at my house, I get to keep most of the leftovers. So so when we, <laughs> oh, my family comes home, so you know all it, all it takes. So for all it takes for us is you know mom mom gets lunch off. She doesn't have to make anything. I just go over to the microwave and we got brisket and ribs and things like that. So and lots anyways. and lots of us do the exact same yeah, thing here, yeah, here yeah. in yeah. Moscow. Yep. Yeah. 
Cool. All right. Well, let, let's go back to the the heart motivation for a lot of Christians. I you know I don't want to unnecessarily pick on Jonathan Lehman, although I'm I'm perfectly comfortable picking on him a little bit. But uh, but he represents you know it's not unique to him. That that's what I mean. It's not it's not like right. he's the only one. He represents a large group of Christians. And so you know at the end of the day, God alone sees the heart. We look at the outward appearance, but there is a sense. And I, I always want to remind Christians of this. You know, it's like well, you can't judge my inner motives. Well, but Jesus does talk about judging a tree by its fruit. And the Bible does say that out of the abundance of the heart, you know, the mouth speaks. And so we can't judge definitively, you know, infallibly the internal motives of the heart. And often it's best for us to leave those things to God and just and just strictly judge the fruit itself and the actions and the words, the deeds of an individual. But there is when there's a pattern, I guess is my point, when a pattern begins to emerge in word and or deed with an individual, I think we can begin to, to suspect certain things in the person's heart. And we want to be careful about levying accusations, but I, but I do think we can exercise humble Christian discernment and say that this does seem to be a motive. Okay, so I'm not making a definitive statement, but I am saying it does seem as though Jonathan Lehman, and again, him representing a, a much larger group of many Christians, him being just one example, because he was on your show, he's a good one to use, but it seems as though there may be um, some kind of heart motive, some kind of incentive, something that they're that they're guarding, that they're protecting by by not wanting to just say, you know what, this is maybe a lot simpler than we're making it. Maybe it's not so mystical. God wrote a book, and and the book actually applies. What do you guys think that what is it that people are trying to protect? What is the motive there? And we, we don't even have to say it's I, his I just motive. Think but you made that way too complicated. <laughs> that question. All right, I go ahead. I, because I really do think it's just pure ignorance. I mm. think that these people are ignorant of God's word, and and they're mm. probably if there's a motivation behind it, it's to cover up that ignorance. They don't know what to do. Man, the social justice movement came in here and ransacked the Christian evangelicals because they don't know what to do. They don't have any understanding of God's word to be able to apply it to the situation. Well, but they've been taught to unhitch the Old Testament from, from the New Testament. Yes. And so now they're <laughs> running around like, where are clothes at? They were in that thing that you unhitch. That's why you run around here naked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so well, and so I think what they realize is like, wait, we don't have on any clothes. What do we do? And so they're, they're and, the, and the social justice people are like, here, how about these? How about these? And what do they do? They put them on. They're like, oh, that seems like wisdom. <laughs> from above. right and yeah. so i, I think i right. don't think you know their intentions and, and all of this i i again i don't i'm not even going to make that assumption of what's going on there i just think that they're ignorant and the last thing that people want to do in a situation like this is repent and that's what god is showing. when you realize you come to a situation and you need help and you need wisdom repent lord i should have you know that's one thing i really got to say about tom Masco. when we started making the film by what standard in 2019 and all this stuff started coming up mm -hmm. and and he i remember the first time we went to his house at the conference mm -hmm. and i interviewed him and he was like man i i didn't see this coming i didn't see what was going on and at the end of the film he sits up here and says brothers we need to repent yep. right. because we have been played we right. hadn't seen the things that were going on right. and so i think that there is so much pride and arrogance if there's anything yeah. because of the ignorance the last thing they want to do is say we were wrong we should okay. have been operating and practicing God's word all the way up until now so that when this hit, we knew exactly how to operate. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I think it is. It's pride and arrogance and not wanting to repent that they haven't been 
in God's word the way that they should have and applying to the situation. I would. So I would you would chalk, you would chalk this one up real quick to uh, Chesterton, right? Never attribute to malice what can easily be explained by stupidity, you know, or ignorance. I, and, you, and so yeah. you're saying that the motive that there is a motive, but the motive is to protect the the reputation. The motive it's, is to not have to walk it back, not wanting to acknowledge, hey, we we missed this one. Well, no one and nobody wants to admit that they just don't know. They don't have answers. They just don't want. They don't want to. In admit today's that era, ignorant. That, you know, That's no, right. I mean, and and men in particular. I mean, men don't like to say I don't know. But don't you think there's also like a certain amount of embarrassment? Well, that's, where, what, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly where, right. But where you know, I don't want to defend the text where um, it talks about slavery. I don't want to right. defend the text where now now homosexuality. Well, well, I don't even want to defend okay. those. If you're gonna texts go there, anymore, then you know? then I'm gonna say like this. Doug Wilson can't be right. <laughs> like if there's anything, right, that, you right. know, he can't be right. Right. 30, 40 years of planning educational institutions, seeing what was coming, talking about that all this was going to hinge. The right. play on Christianity was going to hinge on how we understood yep. and afraid to talk about biblical slavery. Right. Doug Wilson can't be right. Right. Yeah. Right. So we got to make sure that can't. <laughs> but that, yeah, that's just that's just narrowing in on the point. You're that, making. Right. I mean, exactly. It's one thing to admit that God was right. Right. It's another thing to admit that Doug Wilson. Was right. <laughs> 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 Kick you in the mouth. No, no I think the, the, uh, the other thing, though, Joel, is I, I, I think we have uh, churches full of unbelievers. Mm hmm. So I, I, I think we I think we have a nation full of um, people who don't know Jesus. I think I think we have uh, I saw I saw somebody uh, sharing this over the weekend with Reformation Day. I'm, maybe I'm time um, dating this recording, but um, the uh, um, somebody saying that the modern American evangelical church is in a worse state than the Roman Catholic Church was when the Reformation started. Mm. And I think there's a strong argument for that. I think we are full of just as much mysticism and superstition and corruption in the modern evangelical church. I'm thinking the whole thing, not, you know, just, you know, the whole, you know, born again, Christianity, whatever, you know, in a worse place, in a worse place, the Roman Catholicism, um, which, but I think, you know, we, the reason why uh, America is in the shape that it's in is because we, we have lost our saltiness. We've lost our light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Why is it so dark? Because the, because despite the fact that we have um, millions of professing Christians, they, they have no light. Darkness. They, they have no light. And, it's, and so I, I think we have leaders um, who, on the one hand, really ought to know better in certain ways. Yeah. But I think even they've been, um, they're ignorant in certain ways. Yeah. They, they were trained in certain seminaries that gave them certain kinds of blinders that told them not to ask certain kinds of questions yeah. and not to look in certain dark corners. And so they've got these blinders and they, and they teach what they know well, and, and they do their best. And they're teaching hundreds and thousands of people um, who don't know Jesus. So of course they don't know their Bibles. I mean, they, you know, they, they think that knowing Jesus is going to a church, a, a service, I'm not even going to dignify it with the name church, um, where, you know, there's a rock band and strobe lights and smoke machines, and they get into this um, mystical fervor. Um, they have an emotional, spiritual orgasm, and then they go home for another week. And they think that's Christianity. And no wonder it translates into absolutely nothing during the week. No wonder it doesn't change their lives at all. Um that's that's I mean talk about ignorance. It's not just the ignorance. It's not like Christian ignorance. There's some of that. Yeah, yeah. But I think part of the problem is they don't even know God because no wonder they don't know the Word. You know, it's funny. I was just talking just to jump on that. When you talked about they go to seminary 
and then they get this what four or six year seminary for the most part three oh, okay three but before that they had 12 years of government education that's true 12 years of government education that has given them particular lenses to even view right. their theological training in. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, they didn't get, and they, mm. they have to go through rehab first. The, the, Not, yeah. None of seminaries go take them. A you know, detox. They, they need a detox. Um, and then maybe they can do something. And so the, 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 I was just talking to somebody else about this. One of the things that institutions do is they um, make men soft so that they operate easily inside of these institutions. Yep. They remove the sharp edges. And yep. so you have 12 years of a certain type of education that has made you effeminate. Right. What do you think right. is going to happen now that you get to seminary? Are you just going to get all that back? No. What does a seminary education start to do? It starts to help encourage that in one way or another so that your education doesn't give you sharp edges anymore to be effective. Right. And we saw how effective these men were when 2020 came along. Yep. Yep. So we became effeminized and institutionalized because of this type of education, which again, right. go back right. 40 years ago, someone saw this. And, and if you want to you know, finish the whole circle back to Joel asking about motivations, why not theonomy? Well, again, that would take balls. Yeah, and they've right. been cut that off. Would, I mean, that, that would that would take courage. That would take a backbone. That would mean real gonna- real quick on the balls comment, just to pick up on that. In light of theonomy and the general equity of civil laws, but also there is a sense of you know ceremonial laws maybe pointing to something deeper. And the ball comment that you made is there something to the fact that a man cannot enter the tabernacle if his testicles have been crushed, Toby? Yeah. Is there a general equity there that, you know, that maybe maybe sure. should be applied today? But sure. Leave it to a Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> you going to tell me how that works out. Come back with some information. I want to know how you, I want to know your exegetical, uh, I want to see your exegetical work on that one. I'm, ju- I'm just saying, if we're talking about the general equity of God's law and we're talking about balls, then it just makes me think maybe God was up to something right. when, you know, there's a ceremonial reason, but maybe there's, maybe yeah. there's a metaphor there. Yeah, but this, <laughs> yeah, so. Well, I mean, this is the thing. Like, I mean, nobody wants to preach through Leviticus. Nobody nobody wants right. to preach these passages because then you end up talking about things like this and somebody thinks Is that's that in your Bible? The, the <laughs> pastors are just being crass when no, like it's in the Bible. Like it's in mm-hmm. the Bible. It's right. in God's word. I mean, you if you don't have to touch on these issues, then you're not preaching God's word. That's right. right. And I mean, there right. there we are. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, well, let's go ahead and shift gears now. Oh, you know, the last thing I was going to say, I think you guys will amen this, but as far as giving our servants a rest on the Lord's day, if there's any application for that, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be our fellow Christian church members giving them a rest from their service that prohibits them, that takes them into another room of the church building where they're effectively barred from the Lord's table because they're in children's ministry? Isn't that maybe the first place that we should start by well, giving all of yeah. our servants well, a, a, a rest but with family integrated worship? I just, well, I don't know. I well, thought about that. Well, well Joel, you, the little ones. Yeah, Go exactly. The kids yep. if you have children, <laughs> you're going to get in trouble with that question, Joel. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I, feel like, I feel like it's a good start just to at least invite the children to worship. I like where you're going with this, Joel. <laughs> so, I like where you, you just so. keep going. <laughs> You just, you know, go ahead, finish. I, I enjoy this. Like, you're almost there. Run home. Run home, Keep Baptist. How much rest you want to give them? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All right. Okay. So, all right. Let's shift gears now. So, so all that I think has been a, a really great, helpful framework and backdrop. But all that being said, America 
you know, I think Doug has, has said, and I think you guys would agree that, you know, people say, is America a Christian nation? And he said, well, I, it, it was, but it's a nation that currently is in the process of apostatizing. Right. And, and so if that's true, and, and, I, and I, I believe that that's true, but with that being said, we believe the church is going to win, right? Everybody believes, every Christian believes Christ is going to win. I've, I've, you know, as I have conversations with, with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ with different, different positions on eschatology, you know, I, one of the ways that I've tried to define it simply for people is, uh, do we believe that Christ is going to win despite the church or that Christ is going to win through his church? Um, that, that the church is the battering ram of Christ who is its head that is ultimately you know, ramming up against the gates of hell and, and that they're not going to prevail. And it's this offensive weapon. Hell is on the ropes. And, um, and it's not just that Jesus is going to win in the bottom of the ninth after the, the church is battered and bruised, um, you know, and Jesus wins despite his failing bride, but that he's going to win through his bride. And so all that being said, my point is, I know you guys are post-mill. And, and so we believe not only that Christ is going to win, but we believe in a, in a victorious church, um, that triumphant and militant. Um, but what about America? Well, you know, um, so Christ wins, the church wins. Does America, does America win? Um, uh, or does America lose? You know, I, like I told you guys before we started recording, I've been reading this book. It's called The Fate of Empires. It's just a collection of a couple essays. And, and he tries to, to glean wisdom by doing, instead of just focusing history on one particular culture or nation, he does a global world history and he tracks it back for, I think, all the way to like 3500 BC and talks about empires, the Ottoman Empire, the Persians, the Medes, the Assyrian Empire, and says that each of these empires on average lasted about 250 years. Like it's it's actually shocking how, how close to that 250 year mark all of them got. And he stages, you know, he outlines stages and the last stage is a stage of decadence and some of the characteristics of decadence um, that's right before their ultimate demise is um, materialism is one of them, um, but one of them also is an influx of foreigners um, and the welfare state uh, becoming an obsession, you know? And so, and so he's mapping um, also just uh, at that point, the nation is, has the most defense, the most um, affluence and prosperity and militia and all these things that they've ever had. But, but what he says is that the will of the people is no longer there to fight. Whereas, whereas the founders, even though they had nothing, what they did have is they had guts and, and a desire for glory and for all these kinds of things. And so anyways, America, you know, the math is pretty, pretty easy to figure out. We're right around that 250 year mark. Hmm. Um, what, what do you guys think? Uh, when the whole pandemic started in 2020, I remember we had Doug on our show and we were interviewing him about the pandemic and everything. And Doug, quoted uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 12 um, verses 27 to me. And it was kind of like hearing that verse all over again when he quoted it to me in that context. And it says uh, this phrase yet once more indicates that the removal of things that are shaken, that is the things that have been made in order that the things, um, uh, let me make sure I, I read that correctly in, in the, in the, um, with the comments and everything. Let me reread that. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be graceful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So when, when God acts and when God works, he shakes things and he shakes things that need to be shaken and that will go away. And, and it says in Hebrews, it says, so that we can receive God's kingdom. And, and so I, I think that um, God is shaking 
our world in ways that he hasn't done it for decades. And I think that, um, uh, God, you, you brought up the point earlier that God is, does he save through the church or, or, um, around the church and, and God saves through the church. He, he saves through his bride. Um, uh, and as, uh, you know, the church disciples the world. God is saving through the church. He's not getting rid of his church. He's building the church. He's building the kingdom here on earth. And so America could go away or could not. God can do whatever he wants there. Um, but one thing that's not going to be shaken is his kingdom. Now, I do think we are apostatizing here in America. And I think the church is largely apostatizing America for reasons that we've discussed here on the show already. Um, and so, uh, but what I don't want to do is preach, you know, some sort of Christian nationalism, you know, some sort of patriotic nationalism to our country saying we never want America to go away. You know, we, we think that, you know, if America goes away, the world is doomed. That's not what, how God works. It's what every empire thought. It's what every empire thought. And so I want God to save the world. I want God to save um, my friends uh, here. And I want God to save Idaho. I want God to save, you know, Washington, DC. But if, if we think that America is the shining light to the, uh, to the world. I want nothing to do with that religion. Um, so right. I would, I would say that, um, yeah, we're post mill. We believe that, you know, I think I might've told you this before Joel. Um, but if apostle Paul, you know, when apostle Paul, when Jesus died, there's what about 500 Christians here on this earth. Um, and then when apostle Paul died, you know, maybe 20,000, I don't know. It, it would be kind of an interesting number to try to figure out 20,000, 50,000, whatever it is. Um, if Apostle Paul came back now and walked around here in the United States and saw all these church buildings everywhere, um, regardless if he was post mill back then, he would be post mill now. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, like, there's churches everywhere. Everywhere. There's Christians. And, yeah, he and, might, and Paul, I mean, he was like ministering to churches in Corinth. I mean, he knew they're he, messed he up. Messed he, yeah. I was gonna say, he, go, he might beat a few of them out of the churches. Yeah. Like, we're yeah. going re, to reintroduce some people to this yeah. building. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, but the point is, God is working. And sometimes we get pretty discouraged because we see all these physical um, challenges before us, tyrants, um, petty laws, taxation, whatever. Um, but God is really working in this world. And, and we just got to, you know, trust in his word and the scriptures and kind of take a step back and, and look at what God has done from the resurrection of Christ until now. That's pretty encouraging. Yeah. Right. Um, no, I'm just going to be straight up. America's going to die. <laughs> it is. It's going to die. When? Um, it's dying now. And so it, it's, it's happening. It's like this cancerous. Um, and, and, you know, here's the deal. The reason that scares people is because they don't believe in resurrection. Yeah. Um, God is using and will continue to use empires to be fertilizer for the kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he's doing right. and so why are you afraid of it when you see it yeah right yeah. don't be afraid of that this is god listen god if if, if you don't know the story and you don't know one who's telling it then you're going to be afraid this is god's story he's telling it and if you're reading your bible you know the trajectory of this story so when you see these things happen you realize we were just talking about that when when israel was in egypt um and god was judging egypt the, the judgments were going across Egypt, but Israel still had light when there was no light mm -hmm. there. There was light in Goshen. So when we see what's going on in the world and we see God's judgment coming down, Christians need to be faithful. They need to honor God in what they're doing. They need to stay close to their worship, raise their children, do the things that they know to do, because God is going to use that to 
launched them out or launched the next thing as for the, the benefit of the kingdom. They left Egypt and Egypt was bankrupt and broke, but that money didn't just dissolve. Right. It went somewhere to create and build the, the kingdom that they were moving to. And so whatever and, uh, to create and build an idol and unfortunately that golden calf came from somewhere and, 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 and the tabernacle and then, come on you're bro. right yeah, yeah come yeah. on that calf didn't last that long it was <laughs> and those people didn't last that yeah. long either you know what i'm saying <laughs> right. so there's a purification right. process again you yeah, just make my point. but that's right some things were shaking I, I don't i think what happens is that people have made america the kingdom and so when they yeah. see america take hits they're like oh no the kingdom of god is under assault <laughs> it's like um no like, no that, america as an idol is, is, is being giving, torn, is down. Being torn yeah. down and that right. worldview that is not honoring god is becoming consistent with itself is eating itself to death and those things that mm -hmm. cannot be shaken will remain and i don't I, we we shouldn't lose heart in that it's disappointing to see a lot of things that we work for fall apart but if those things aren't honoring god then take it all jesus yeah. Take it all. Clean out all yep. the cancer. And that's what he's doing. So I, I, I'm grateful for America. I want America to be one of those things that um, help support the kingdom of God. But if America is going to turn its back on God, then thus to all dragons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so be it. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. um, I'm I'm. I'm on this. I know where the story is going to end. I know the story that God is telling. And I know my responsibility in this story is to be a faithful father, a faithful husband, a faithful man who fears God and honors God in everything he does. And, and that's the trajectory I'm on. And I believe that through that, God will keep his people as the, the whole thing is being turned into fertilizer for the kingdom. I really like that, mm. that image of fertilizer. Mm. I really do. Mm. I, I, I like that. And I also, and it, it works really well because I think what happens is if you go back through history, I haven't read the book that Joel's talking about here, but, um, but I think each of the empires, each of the kingdoms and nations that God raised up in many respects, um, they did go down in and become fertilizer for the next nation. Yeah. And, and, and they took the, you know, even like people talk right. about the Rome, right. the Roman empire is this amalgamation, like what is Rome and what is the Roman empire? Well, it's like this, it's part, partially sort of Greek culture, but it's combined with this new thing that's Roman, but even the Greeks were drawing off of Persian and Babylonian yeah. Yeah. culture. And then you've right. got this, you know, um, this um, Jewish Hebraic culture mm. that's also sort of under the surface in various ways. And so you have even early Christian speculating that maybe Plato learned from Moses and, and these kind uh -huh. of things because they're drawing off of things that are actually quite biblical in certain ways. And um, but then you have, you know, the Rome falls, it goes into the, you know, into into Europe. And and what is, you know, what is um the British Empire? Um, but sort of um Rome uh kind of dissolved into the um, Western European tribes and then resurrected. Yeah. And then you have, you know, the sort of this, this new form of feudalism in the British Empire. But then as that's dying, you have that old feudalism, that old Roman Greek philosophy mixed with um, Christian covenantal thinking and British sensibilities. And where does it come back to life? In America. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's, right. that's the American empire. And so it, it's like, you know, God gives these good gifts they're used and enjoyed, and they do good things for the people, and um, and the kingdom is advancing yep. in every stage. The kingdom's not um, being taken down, but then you're right. the The outward form gets shaken, 
Yeah. And it goes down into the dust. It go, it right. becomes the fertilizer for the next thing that God's doing. And the last thing I'll just add to this is, you know, the book of Revelation is a helpful um, a way, I think, to answer the question too. And it ties back into your point about um, how the church is used. But the book of Revelation, in many respects, is the story of the effect of the church's worship on the history of the world. Um, focused on the first century, but at the end, it kind of, I think, is looking down the corridors of time. Um, in, in the first mm-hmm. century, as the Christians worshipped, um, it, it's, it's what's going on in heaven is then going down on earth. So as you as you begin, you got the the exhortations of the seven churches, and then John begins to have this this revelation, this vision of what's going on in heaven. But what it's all um, it, it's all bookmarked by these punctuations of worship. Yeah. Um, the elders, the angels, the people, they fall down in worship. And then what happens? Um, bowls are poured out, incense is mm. offered, and it goes on the earth and the judgments of God fall on the earth. Um, and so you have um, worship is the battering ram. The church is the battering ram. Um, it It is part of the leaven that builds up nations, but then also over time, it's as the nation turns away from God or withers or whatever, um, God brings it down and raises up new nations. But what's kind of cool and glorious is at the very end, despite all that, um, Revelation 21, uh, 23 says, and the city, this is the new Jerusalem, had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the lamb is the light thereof. Verse 24, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Mm. And so, um, mm. and I don't know, you know, how does that work exactly? I'm not sure, but at the very least, I would say, as the nations rise, um, there are certain gifts that the nations give the world, um, that are are good gifts right. that last forever. Yeah, and there are gifts that that America has given the world mm-hmm. that will last mm-hmm. forever. That they're good gifts. They're solid gifts. They're solid things that can't be shaken um, in the providence of God. Right. And so that America, it will will last forever. Yeah, because it was true, real, um, solid gifts. It was real justice. It was some vision of some kind of sensibility, some gift. I think the same thing of 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 England. I was thinking uh, Geneva. Um, I think the same thing of Geneva. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, in uh, Last Battle, Lewis um, um, talks about you know, sort of Narnia, the the, the new Narnia, um, as it's it's like England, but it's like a glorified England. Mm-hmm. So in the new heavens right. and new earth, I think all of the good gifts of all of the nations he meant Texas Lord. last forever. Including Texas. <laughs> no, that's good, Toby. I, I really appreciate that. And I think, you know, I, I know you guys will agree with this, but, you know, the coming of Christ, you know, the, this massive divide in terms of human history, you know, so when you think of oppressive nations, um, empires, you know, that, that, that ruled the, the known globe at the time, but were a force of great wickedness and evil, the, you know, Babylon, right? When you think of that, it's like, in the coming of Jesus, uh, in the last 2,000 years, we, we've had atrocious things happen. I mean, millions have died underneath, you know, com- communism, right. you know, and you have your Stalins, you have, you know, your Hitlers and things like that. But um, the, the, big, the big thing that stands out to me is that the, they ultimately fail. 
Hitler, you know, Hitler was atrocious, but the Third Reich can, you know, can be measured in just a very short period of time. But there, there's nothing in the last 2,000 years really comparable to Babylon. And so in Christ's coming, you know, he tells the parable, you know, you have to, to plunder the house, you need to go in and bind the strong man. And so in his life, death, and resurrection, being able to bind the strong man, take Satan and bind him, no longer able to deceive the nations and something spiritually, something in the heavens took place and 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 there and poured out there's an effect here on earth and so so you don't I, I don't think we're going to to witness the long-term lasting lifespan of heinous wicked evil nations um, because of what Christ has done no not but not, I do think that anymore. it's possible yeah exactly not anymore and so but my point is I, I do think it's possible if if a nation, um, would humble themselves and and submit to God. I think that God will exalt those people as long yeah. as as long as they're willing to be obedient. And so, and so I think what's my point is I think what's unique about America because I, I would give a hearty amen to everything that you said, Knox. And that, like we don't we don't need America. Um, and what God's going to do, everything is going to be for His glory and for the good of those people who love Him and are called according to His name. So America's America's exaltation or demise will be to the benefit of the church. Yeah, either way. Um, and, and so we, we believe that. Uh, but my point is, America is unique in the sense that um, I feel like in many ways, it, it, may, it may be one of the closest expressions that, we, that we've ever had. And I think Doug Wilson even said, you know, like with Christendom, you know, whether it's Constantine, you know, stuff like that, it's, it, the failure is not, okay, well, these Spanish crusades or whatever, like that was a bad idea. No, we, we, need, we need Christendom 2.0. And and these were bugs rather than features, and let's work them out, and then we'll get three and then. But eventually, like this leaven is going to to permeate the whole batch of dough. That this little mustard seed is going to to be a tree that that offers shade to the beasts of the field all over the earth, and the birds of the air are going to find refuge and rest in its branches. And Christ is building a kingdom, and it is going to have his kingdom is going to have a material physical because we're not Gnostics. It's going to have right. an earthly expression, and it, and it is going to be um, legislated through through laws, just laws that glorify the King in heaven um, and demand um, obedience from his subjects here on earth. And so, all of these things are going to occur. And the idea that that God might use a nation or nations. For a prolonged period of time, I don't. My point is, I don't think the 250-year mold has to be the fate of every nation. I agree. And and sure. so I guess I just I Amen. just want to say, so we don't we don't need America. Our hope is not in America, um, but it is possible. Uh, America, uh, Christians in America, we don't have to just roll over and say this is our fate. Now we we may say I think I'm inclined to believe that this is going to be what happens, but if it happens. It's not because God just destined it in the stars, right. and and we never had we never had the option otherwise. No, it's because because we rolled over because of our wickedness, because of our right. abdication of response, Christian responsibility. We 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 set our own fate. God did it sovereignly, but through the agency of the church and its failure. Right. And um, you know what I mean. And so I I just want to absolutely you know say you know that point and say that like it doesn't have to be our fate and. Um, and if we did repent, God is God is faithful and merciful, and I and yes. I believe like Hezekiah. Uh, that's my prayer, right? So I I do love America, and I do want it to continue. And the reason I want it, con it con to continue, I didn't feel this way five years ago, but something happened in the last five years. I had three little girls, <laughs> and uh, and and so so I'm thinking, you know, everything God does is for our eternal good. 
But man, if I have any say in the matter, I'd like for my girls not not to have to go through a civil war and not to have, you know, not to have sons of their own that die, you know, and and be exiles, you know, and have to flee to to with Elon Musk to Mars or whatever to set up the new Christian <laughs> colony or what you know, like I I'd love for that not to be the case. I know it'll be good if that's what God decides, but but you know, I want to fight. And so I feel like Hezekiah, like just praying, um, and, and, and then crying out as a prophet, as a preacher to the nation, saying, because I know God doesn't, God is not going to bless. We, we can't ask for his blessing and for his mercy without repentance. If, and if we repent, we're going to have to say his name. So I, yeah. I want to, in my prophetic role as a pastor and as a Christian, cry out and say, repent and call upon the name of Jesus right. and turn from your wickedness. And then as a priest, as an intercessor, I want to cry out to Jesus and say, would you give us 15 more years? You, you know, and what would you, you guys find think about 10 that? people? Uh, well, I mean, if, <laughs> yeah, if, right. if, uh, if Nineveh can repent, sure, then we can repent. Yeah. Um, and, right. and absolutely, and I agree with exactly what you said. I, I, we, we are, um, this is where God has placed us and we are called upon uh, to love our neighbors and our neighbors are these people, this nation. We love right. them. And right. what, uh, you know, no, no man had greater love than he laid his life down for his, his friend. Um, so this is right. our assignment. We're called to love this nation, telling them the truth of the gospel, calling them to repentance, um, and amen. Amen. So that, among a, a whole other host of things, you know, but that I would say is not the distinction, but that's one of the distinctions between us and a, you know, AOC is that uh, Christians, if America falls, um, Christians' response will be that that we'll weep. Like that we, yeah, that we love our neighbors, and it's absolutely. and that it's said we're, we're not rejoicing. Right with the ashes, you know, and, and burn it all down. We're saying, God, let God be true and every man a liar and let but, his will be done. But we won't um, be. And we, we trust in his wisdom. But we won't weep. We won't weep like those who have no hope. That's right. That's right. So that's right. We, we, Amen. We will weep. Amen. I mean, there's a, there's a book of Lamentations that's all about weeping yeah, over weeping. Jerusalem right. fallen and, and every right. Jerusalem fallen. I, I would say it is, is the application. Amen. And I do agree with what you said that America I think is the high water mark to this point, but to no, this point. I no eye has seen ear has heard the glorious things that God has prepared for us. This, I, I mean, I just don't think this is anything yet. No, you, you haven't right. seen nothing yet. And God may be pleased to give America repentance to give us another 250 years. Right. Um, God be right. pleased to give us that repentance right. and that glory. And if not bring it down so that you can bring up the next one. And, right. and by the way, we That's do a whole right. show here for the very purpose, hoping that that sparks some sort of repentance that, that in flag, our brothers. That flag <laughs> underneath is, that cross is our hope. Right. It's because that's our hope. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, Chalk Knox, I'm going to do something dangerous. I'm going to give you the last word. You you got one minute to try to convince me to baptize my three little girls. <laughs> oh, bro. One minute? You can do it, man. Yeah, one minute. Just play your play your little video. Get your little Presbyterian chuckle. Yeah, play your little outro. You guys laugh at the Baptist. You guys laugh at the Baptist. We are laughing at you. If I was going to give a quick quick pitch to why you should baptize your kids, is because when they were born, they had your last name. When they were born, they were made Americans. When your kids were born, they were born. They were born weapons, and they were born in the direction of their father to serve the God of their fathers. Um, and so your kids are not, I, I always say this, if a, if a Muslim came in the house saying, hey, kill all the Christians in here, they wouldn't leave your kids. Oops. Mm. Mm. Oops. Amen. I can affirm all that as a Reformed Baptist.
And we'll have to we'll have to talk about how and why and why we disagree another time. Children. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show. God bless you. God bless your ministry. And I encourage all of our listeners, if you get an opportunity, uh, check out Cross Politic. If you if you're wanting to keep up with the headlines, they hit current events all the time and they hit it all through a Christian worldview. And there's a lot of guys who do that through a Christian worldview, but but they actually do that through a Christian <laughs> worldview with courage. So all right. Appreciate Thanks, you, guys. Man. God bless you. Thank you, Joel. Bye, brother. Yeah. Thank you. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com offer. And thank you for your generous support.